0: Coming up on the program after 10.15, our kink panel discusses how kink identity is formed. I'll share with you uh, some new research that sheds light on the development of kink identity. And our uh, four panelists can share their own development and how they discovered their kinky side. That's coming up after 10.15. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514 514 800 Remember, you can always send me your emails, your questions by email to laurie at com. So a couple of questions here. Uh, what is male birth control? How does it work and when will it be available? Great question. This is something we've talked about on the air for the last, oh, 20 years that I've been doing this show uh, where you know new studies come out. All right, we've tested this pill on rats and it seems to work and uh, now we have to test it in humans and the last one was, yes, it was tested in men uh, there's less side effects, but will men buy it? So it's not on the market. Nothing is approved. Uh, basically, what you want to do is find uh, a pill or some kind of medication that blocks uh, the sperm uh, production, but that's reversible. So the most important thing is that it becomes reversible once you uh, stop taking it so that uh, you, you, you can ejaculate, but with no, uh, either no live sperm or no, no sperm in there. Uh, to be able to impregnate. But again, it, it's we have, I have no idea when it will uh, become available in Canada. I'm not even sure if, if it's available anywhere else on this planet uh, either, but I can tell you that they're still studying it, still studying it. And then I often wonder, all right, let's say it's available. Um, who's going to use it? Will women trust the guys that they're with, uh, to take their pill religiously to, uh, I mean, this is a big, a big issue because the control is, would be up to, uh, their partner. One thing I suppose if they're in a a long-term relationship, but what, what if not? So, uh, there's that part too, because after all, it is the woman who will have to deal with the pregnancy as well. Uh, Where can you get checked for sexually transmitted infections in Montreal? Uh, Again, I don't have the listing of where, but you can certainly find that listing. If you go to uh, the Sexual Health Network of Quebec, the website Um, I think it's shnq.ca. There should be a listing of places there that you can get STI testing. Off the top of my head, I know that you can go uh, walk into uh, the infectious disease clinic at the Jewish General Hospital, for example, but they have certain office hours, so you clinic hours, uh, it's first come, first serve, so you can try there. There are youth clinics if you're under 25, there are... Uh, clinics, uh, at like the nursing uh, the health services at the CJ level and at the university level you if you're a student you can get it done there as well uh, one texter writes perhaps uh, about the birth control pill for men uh, it'll be available when men grow up and stop being wimps regarding the issue uh, I don't know do you think that's it like I'd love to hear from guys. What do you think about this? I'm not sure who who sent me that question, but uh, do you think, uh, men, would you take a pill that would stop the production of your sperm temporarily or just not permanently? Uh, and would you take this every day as a form of birth control rather than have your partner... Uh, take birth control herself? So it's a good question because, listen, women take birth control pills. There are side effects. I would imagine that there will be side effects for men. Uh, The research has shown that men are less tolerant of the side effects. So maybe you have a point there. I'm not sure I would go as far as calling men wimps for that, but uh, I'd love to hear from guys. Would you take the birth control pill for you if it was um, available. A text message. Do you need to pee after sex and why? Um, Another really good question. Yes, it is recommended that you, uh, you pee before sex and you pee after sex, after sex to flush out your system, especially if you're prone to bacterial infections or urinary tract infections. So, uh, some people just seem to get urinary tract infections often, often related to after sex. So one of the recommended uh, prevention things is to uh, make sure you urinate after. As, as it's about, about cleaning the pipes, really. It's about flushing out uh, the pipes, the bacteria, or anything else from the, the sexual um, activity. So it is a good idea. Is the male G-spot the prostate and what happens when it is touched? So the male G-spot, yes, it, in, we call it the, uh, it is the prostate. We call that the male uh, G-spot because it's in the same area, it, uh, near the same glands as in women and, uh, for a lot of men, and this is what men have: the prostate. Uh, prostate massaging is a big thing. It's uh, when massaged either from the external, so by pressing on the perineum, which is the uh, the space between the testicles and the anus, if you press. Upwards, you are putting some pressure on the prostate gland. If you insert a finger into the anus and push downwards, you're also putting pressure. And if you do both, like up and down, uh, that would be a prostate massage. Um, There are uh, toys, sex toys, that are sold for that very purpose. They're called prostate massagers. Many men will tell you that this feels amazing to them and it's a, a great source of pleasure. And it's not about being gay. It's not about any of that. It is just because you're in the area of the uh, of the anus, and uh, you can go in there. It, it has nothing to do with orientation. Just want to put that out there because I, I get that question uh, quite a bit. So. Um, there you have it. Uh texter writes, a man would gladly take them, I imagine, and he'd never miss. I'd pop them like Skittles. Uh, why do you think he'd never miss? Like, I wonder about that because there are so many men out there who practice the withdrawal method. Like they're with people, they're not even in relationships with casual sex and they don't want to use a condom. Uh, and they say, oh, I'll just uh, pull out. So don't they know the risks of uh, impregnation at that point? So I'm not sure why uh, he'd never miss. Uh, Another texter says, considering men are reluctant, oh, there you go, to merely use condoms, it wouldn't be in the least bit surprising to learn they would have issues with assuming equal responsibility with regards to using birth control pills. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. uh, I wonder. Uh, can diabetes affect erections and is Viagra safe for people with heart problems a great another great question yes uh, diabetes can have uh, an impact on your erections uh, it's a, a common a consequence of uh, chronic diabetes so you'd want to check with your doctor um, in terms of heart problems it depends how you're being treated so if you are on nitrates you cannot use uh, Viagra. But this is very important to discuss with your doctor to see what options there are out there. Viagra may not work, but something else might. And for some uh, diabetic men, um, will off, may go for the implant option, which is kind of a, a it's surgical, but many are quite satisfied with that. Just ha- seems to happen uh, a little uh, more rarely for some reason. You can always send me your emails uh, or your texts, your questions, uh, even throughout the show, and I'll answer. continue to answer them through uh, t- towards the end of the show at 514-800. Coming up, our kink panel discusses the, um, the origins or the formation and development of kink identity. That's coming up next. This is Passion on CJD 800. New research uh, sheds some light on the formation and development of kink identity. So, of course, you know when you hear that music, you know that it is our kink panel, Alternative Sexuality, tonight. Uh, joining us is Dane Stewart. He's an advocate for the human pup community. Pierre and Catherine of uh, BDSMcircle.com. And Gary Major, who's a kinkster, a fan of body modification, and works at uh Bear is called Mr. Yes, Bear. Mr. Bear, Mr. Bear, exactly, in the uh, in the village. So uh, we're going to talk about this because I'm interested in each of your stories, but I want to share some of the research because a sex researcher from the University of California um, Talk to a whole lot of uh, people who self identify, who identify as uh, kinky, and you want to see how they, uh, you know, how they place themselves in the social world and how this kind of thing developed. But the, he wants to make, he made the distinction, and I like this definition, differentiation between kink. And fetish. And what he says is that kink is a broad term that refers to a wide variety of consensual, non traditional, sexual, sensual, and intimate behaviors, such as sadomasochism, domination, submission, erotic role playing, fetishism, and erotic forms of discipline. And fetish is a more narrow term. That describes people with a neurotic or intimate interest in specific non-genital body parts, fabrics, smells, fluids, costumes, and other non-human objects. That would make pop community stuff more fetish rather than kink. No, Dane?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it can fit both, both of those, right? Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap between, between both of those. I agree. Yeah, I
0: think there is an overlap. But he puts them all together because he, he found that in terms of development, they all kind of, uh, they all kind of came, came together. So he was really interested in, in discovering where kink oriented desires um, come from, and then he was able to look at the stages that people go through in order to come to grips with their kink interests and develop a, a healthy identity around those interests because oftentimes at the beginning there isn't such a healthy uh identity, people will, because there's, uh, they don't have connections with others, they might feel like they're weird. I've heard you say that, Catherine, like when you were younger, you know, thought, what's wrong with me? Well, I, you, know? you know,
2: that was before the internet.
0: Well, of so, course, I'm talking so, before the internet. Yes, yes,
2: exactly. So there was certainly when I had these, these things that would interest me that, that other people obviously did. And I, I knew enough not to say about it, but yeah, I felt very isolated. Right. Because you no, feel that there's something the weird.
0: right? It's it's something that, oh, wait, nobody else is talking about this. Is it just me? So I imagine that this is something that maybe you all felt at some point. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. too? Yeah. And did you you had the internet growing up. No, no. you didn't no, do no, that. Oh, no. yeah, forget. You <laughs> look young, but you're older too. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> okay, Dane's the baby. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he's older. I had it. the internet. You had the internet growing up. So maybe you didn't go through that. You just went looking.
1: I mean, I definitely did go through that. There was a, a lot of shame to work through. Um, but I, I also believe that I th- I think a lot of people go through one period of like feeling shame about their identity, whether it's related to their kink identity, or for me, it was more related to coming out of as gay as in gay. a small town. That's true. And then That's I think true. once I made it through through that, I was sort of more comfortable with just being like, this is who I am. I'm here. And if kink is a part of my life as well, then so be it.
0: Okay. Uh, so this uh, researcher Samuel Hughes uh, asked uh, 300 people, more or less, that he recruited from FetLife. So these were people uh, you all know this website, FetLife uh, dot com. That it's the world's largest social networking website for kinky people. So they're self-identified as kinksters, and he asked them to tell the story of their earliest memory of being interested in some kind of kink as well as the story of when they first thought of themselves as a kinky person. And then he analyzed the content and looked for all the elements and he was able to develop a like five phases of kinky, uh, identity development. So I wanted to share that with uh, with listeners and see if any of you uh, went through that. So the, phase one was the early encounters. Um, the, he says this stage encompasses early inklings towards kink, typically taking place before the age of 10. So before you even know what Sex is all about, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where kinky people experience an attraction, draw, or fascination with a kink or fetish interest, often without the words or concepts to understand it, and often without sexual arousal. I found this interesting. Without mm-hmm. sexual arousal, so I'm wondering how each of you might have experienced well, that. For me, that was certainly
2: the case because I remember as being, you know, being very young, and you'd see. Like, you know, the soft, nice love scenes. It's like, oh, yeah. But you'd see, like, John Wayne who would, like, grab the woman and, and, and give her his bang. I'm like, oh, that, oh, you know, and, and, like, even back then, it was, it was kind of like the rougher, the more primal would get my attention. More, right. You know, it was, it was, it wasn't really sexual yet.
0: Right, no, Uh, no but it it. was—it was
2: certainly there was a fascination there that I'm sure was the beginning of it.
0: Right. What about for each of you guys, Pierre? Do you remember back way back then?
3: (laughs) uh, I'm I'm the oldest, so maybe I forgot a bit. No, but (laughs) um, when I was really young, I mean, I did not understand what sexuality was. So, I, for me, it's kind of a, a. Easy uh, that part. Okay. I just knew that at some point, when I realized what my sexuality was, I hid it. I mean, I was I'm ashamed of it. I thought I was crazy. Okay, for for, so for me, years I thought I was just damn crazy, you know. Right. And I think that's, yeah, that that that's certainly what a lot
0: of people have felt. But he gave examples like uh, like before the age of 10, including like wanting to be captured while playing cops and robbers, seeing television <laughs> shows with superheroes in peril and feeling absorbed by the show. Like those are all non-sexual things. But I find that interesting that that's like the earliest memory that people might have.
4: Yeah, for me, uh, uh, it was a uh, very domineering father. Uh, okay. And the uh, the more I displeased him, the more I was punished. But the m- longer I was punished, the more I pleased him, in a strange way. So if I could take the worst of his punishment, he saw me as a better man. Ah. So okay. it was definitely the the uh, yeah the uh, starting of it so all. So taking
0: the punishment made you good. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Like being made able me, to a, made suck me a better up, man. Made yeah, you yeah. a man. I made me a man. Yeah.
0: So you learned to kind. And of... And now it makes me. That's Demon, a kinky. So. <laughs> that's, okay. That wasn't why you, that, that's not why
2: you became gay, No, definitely right? not. No, definitely not. <laughs> Might be why he's kinky, gay, though. But why it's I'm why kinky. he's
0: kinky, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's a, that that you consciously yeah. even thought about that, you know? Yeah. So you sucked it up a lot. Like mm-hmm. you started to you probably you probably had to do a switch in your brain oh, to like yeah. to almost in, you know, I don't want enjoy to enjoy it. it, but to be able to tolerate it. So yep. it created a different sensation for yep. you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Huh. It's the same thing I can go to now, like in, in long sessions, I can get into that headspace that I can go way longer than ever planned because I know how to put myself there.
0: Because you learned early on. Very early. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, okay, I'm going to get to that because part of that is trauma. Mm -hmm. Like, part of that learning is also trauma. Dane, what about you, like, those early encounters?
1: Well, I think my first memories of it are at some point in childhood watching TV or movies, and it was always the scenes where there was, like, hypnosis or mind control involved in the scenes. So, like, Superman gets exposed to the, the... Uh, red kryptonite or loses his inhibitions or like those sorts of uh, fantasies where this person is rendered completely uh, out of control and is completely dominated by somebody else, which uh, when I was a child, there was no... I mean, I didn't understand sexuality. It wasn't necessarily sexual, but there was something about that that drew me into it. And if I trace that through the lineage of my kink identity uh, up to today, it definitely uh, plays out pretty logically.
3: Wow,
0: that's uh, fascinating. The second phase of kink identity development is exploration with self. So this stage encompasses kinky people exploring their kink or fetish interests with themselves. Happens typically between, he found, between the ages of 5 and 14. So it occurs via fantasizing, seeking out erotic media, masturbating and exploring material sensations on their bodies. I don't know if any of these things... um was with you. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, uh,
4: um, when I started kind of researching, I would always go to that special little part of the library where you could find the books that were a little bit odder, even in the small towns. Uh, and I found uh, a lot of books. Uh, uh, one of the ones that stuck out was uh, this book called Modern Primitives. And it was basically about uh, the main focus on was with this, this gentleman named Fakir you I have that book, by, yeah. by the way, And <laughs> in uh, my library. <laughs> was is still one of my all time favorite people, uh, you know, rest in peace. But uh, he, he, to see the photos that he took in like the 50s Brilliant. of himself doing things to himself was very like oh you can do that to yourself you don't have to have another person to you know hang yourself or do these weird you know alterations to your body uh, everything can be done on yourself by yourself without anyone knowing uh, and so that definitely sparked I a, was, a lot of I was incredibly
0: play. fascinated uh by that like i i actually have that book and mm-hmm. i have a few other books similar because of the fascination which didn't do anything for me in mm-hmm. in that realm it was like a, as an adult and as somebody who was looking into sexuality and and just things that were out of the out of the the ordinary mm-hmm. you know uh in that way but uh fascinating because there is a link between that body modification mm-hmm. and kink as well right yeah, absolutely. And, and sexuality
4: Yeah. And my, my, uh, my bedroom was in the same, in the basement, which was where my father's workshop was. So I had access to a lot of fun tools.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So your kink even went beyond like, it it was okay. And, and you're into something. Well, would you say that body modification is a sort of a, a, a,
4: a well, actually, yes, because to me, uh, my modifications helped me, uh, like control my reactions to pain. Uh, and to figure out ways that my, I could go into certain headspaces when the pain was more severe. Uh, so it definitely, it was, it, it was a, a starter and a helper to enable my body to, to, to do the things that I do with it now.
0: We've got in studio uh, Dane Stewart, who is an advocate for the human pup community from Woof MTL. He's the founder of TalkingDogProductions.ca. Pierre and Catherine, of, uh, who are BDSM practitioners and founders of BDSMCircle.com. Gary Major, who is a kinkster, fan of body modification, which I want to find out more about, actually, because it's not something we've actually touched on too, too much here, but I want our listeners to know what that is, uh, and you can find him uh working uh, at Mr Bear so he'll give you plenty of good advice on things to uh, on kink wear right yes absolutely <laughs> on kink wear so coming up uh, we'll talk about body modification how that's related uh, how that might be a, a fetish or it's related to BDSM in, in some way, and, t- and continue to talk about some of the other phases of kink identity development. We talked about early encounters, exploration of the self, but then there's a process of um, evaluation, like how does one evaluate that within themselves and figure out their identity through that. So we'll uh, cover all of that after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Our kink panel tonight. Now, just before we move on to body modification, I must share this email, this text with you. Wow, you really struck a tone with me. I am a gay man in my 50s. I knew as early as 10 that not only was i attracted to men but i also had a fascination with what i now know as i think it's he says make wet look but male wet look the wearing or swimming in clothes more uh, acutely the pleasure of uh, or more accurately the pleasure of wet jeans I know friends the world over rare to find a likewise partner in North America but the former eastern bloc countries guys are crazy about this fetish you know, I just read about this fetish not long ago. I have even become a photographer living my dream of creating my own style of gay male wet look using color and creative backdrops that make a sort of erotic art without nudity.
1: Nice. Where do we look at this art? Yeah, us, yeah. send us the <laughs> link. Right.
0: Send the link. <laughs> All right. We want to see your art. So this um, wet look, the male wet, that that is... A fetish itself. It's mm-hmm. called wet look, mm-hmm. right? It's uh exactly how he describes it. Wow. Uh, another text writes, ever since the age of six, I recall regularly masturbating, even though I was clueless about sex. Later at the age of eight, I found myself acting out sexual scenarios with my Barbie dolls and drawing very sexually explicit images as well, mainly regarding rough play towards an objectification of women, even though being a woman, I've always been heterosexually inclined. Could this, I've always wondered, possibly be a sign of repressed sexual abuse? Uh, that's a, a good question, but my, my guess is always to not to assume sexual abuse from one thing, especially if there's no corroborating evidence, especially if there are zero memories about this. I think it's very dangerous to go down that road because you can create all kinds of, like memory is one of those things that is actually quite malleable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can create Mm -hmm. memories out of nothing. Mm -hmm. So you also have to be careful uh, when making those kinds of assumptions. Although having said that, um, like if I see a young child Like uh, playing out a sexual scenario that would not be that I would not expect a child of that age to know. uh, That would alert me to one, maybe they saw it somewhere. So you know, the first question I would ask is, have they seen explicit imagery Mm -hmm. elsewhere? Usually, it's some, it's a young kid who's been exposed to porn because of an older sibling or parent or what have you could be a sexual abuse situation, but rare that you would not remember or have any recollection of something that is that traumatic, rare. I, I've hardly ever uh, seen that. So just want to put that out there. Uh, we talked about body modification briefly. So um, Gary is here. He's a kingster. He's a big fan of body modification. I wish, sometimes I wish this was television and not just uh, radio so that you can see him, but he's tattooed. Everywhere, mm-hmm. like literally from head to toe, literally, mm-hmm. uh, and you also have you've modified your body in other ways. Yes. So when people talk about body modification, we, you mentioned Fakir, who's an mm. extreme. Like if you look him up, folks, you'll see some really interesting things, mm-hmm. uh, but that are quite extreme. Yeah. Uh, so that's the extreme. But what what is can I say your average? Like what what is what are some of the things you would modify in your body?
4: Well, I mean, anything can be modified. Like, and anything can be. Can, it's like I I always consider body modification to not be that far away from plastic surgery. Um, it's a simplified, cheaper version of it, but it's a way to kind of take control of your body and recreate it in the image that you have. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, my father was a, a biker, and a lot of the guys that hung around my house were heavily tattooed bikers. Right. So to me, that was kind of not only an image of what men were, but it was an image that stuck in my head, and it was it was part of my my uh my imagery of myself growing up, and it was the way that I always envisioned myself to be now when I got more into body modification, I started getting into <clears throat> the like underground surgery work and things like that
0: underground which- surgery that sounds very. Uh, dangerous to yeah me. yeah okay. absolutely
4: uh but it, it, again in in controlled environments and there was there's a lot of amazing artists that have gone on to continue the work uh that they started in the 90s uh in a more professional and medical sense uh some of the the implant work and and surgical work that I've had done are artists that uh one of the artists uh uh was actually a developer of medical tools for doctors to create uh, and use, uh, to simplify their procedures. You talk
0: about implants. Remember, most of us have no, oh, yeah. no clue what you're talking about. Okay. So we need like to be walked through that process to see like, what do you mean implants? What are you putting in your body?
4: Well, for me, my implants are in my chest and they're, uh, Teflon half dome beads, uh, that can I I had. I,
0: you can see them. Like, yeah, you can yeah, see- you can see them. They're, they're you know, m- I'm going to ask you more- to show me your chest. <laughs> yeah. okay.
4: They're more textile than like, and, and, feeling than they are actually visual, visible, oh, okay. especially when I was, uh, if you, if I gain a little bit of weight, some of them completely disappear.
0: Okay. Um, but not dangerous for your system to, to absorb this kind of stuff. No,
4: because it, your body encapsulates them so much like any, any implant, it, your body encapsulates it as long as it doesn't do any, uh, uh, Damage underneath, like the the risk for my implants is bone damage underneath if there's a lot of pressure. Um, But most implants, if placed properly, don't cause any surrounding damage because the body will encapsulate them. Um, There has been, I mean, of course, there are there has been cases of people getting implants in soft tissue areas where it causes muscle damage or nerve damage. But regularly, if you go to an experienced person, they know what they're doing, much like an experienced surgeon.
0: Okay. Now I've seen. I remember seeing a guy. Who had implants in his head mm-hmm. like on his forehead where the forehead jutted out like mm-hmm. crazy, I saw a split tongue like mm-hmm. a snake tongue. I've seen bone implants in art like i've I've seen quite a few things mm-hmm. in people. Uh, I always kind of associated this with a little bit of uh, crazy making, like almost like, what are you doing to yourself? like mm-hmm. this sounds so extreme. Mm-hmm that I, you know, it's hard to understand, it's hard to fathom this. And yet I look at you, you know, you're an intelligent guy, you're perfectly sane, like we've talked to you many times. So it's hard to wrap, like, for us us non knowing folks, it's Mm kind of hard to wrap our heads around. Oh,
4: absolutely. And there's, uh, there is way more extreme than me. I mean, I'm I'm kind of uh, when uh, in my friend group back in the day, I was the, you know, I was the, the normal looking one. (laughs) Uh, so I have friends that are, go to
0: your high school graduation at your high school reunion. Now now would be
4: a different story. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up with, you know, performance artists. I grew up with people who have gone on to be, you know, circus performers Ah, and who've gone on, you know, to do heavy, heavy, heavy work. Uh, uh, so I, I'm, that is completely normal to me. And to see some of the work that was created back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, and to see how it's progressed is, is absolutely amazing to me. But, I mean, the work that was done was also done, has now been used to research how to do things like you know what can be put in the body without it causing damage and and what materials are going to be you know long-term useful materials um you know people like me have been you know kind of guinea pigs for stuff like that
0: how's it related to sexuality
4: well to me it's it it's like when i uh, for tattooing in me it it helped me develop uh uh, pain tolerance and it helped me develop a um uh, a realization of where my limits were and how to work past them and where my body uh could and couldn't go um and also, I mean, with my implants and my my other surgical work that I've had done, it's uh, it, to me, it, it's a recontrolling of my body and rechanging it, which makes me more in tune to my body. Like I feel m- more of who I'm supposed to be.
0: Can I can I jump in here as the psychologist because <laughs> you shared a little bit before about a father who was mm-hmm. violent with you yeah. and and what have you? Clearly, as a kid, you had very little control over your body. Oh, absolutely. So growing yeah. up. Uh, that that trauma of of somebody beating you and yeah. and not and and you having no control, kind of pushed you in a way where I'm gonna I'm going to control me. Oh, absolutely! Know? Yeah, and I got so my first tattoo the... when
4: I was 15 years old, and right. I didn't really look back from there. So,
0: right? Uh, yeah. well, it was an interesting psychological yeah. dynamic there. <laughs> Sorry, just no, no, had to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 514-800. Would love to hear, uh, from our listeners as well. Uh, what about you? If you're a Kingster, when did you first, uh, learn about this? And we'll, we'll continue to talk about some of the, uh, the phases. And of course, if you have any questions for me related to this or anything else, you can send them along at 514-800. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Tonight's our kink night with Dane Stewart, Pierre, Catherine of BDSM Circle, and Gary Major uh, gave, giving us uh, the lowdown on uh, on body modification. So if you have any questions for him, he's happy to answer them. Uh, we're talking about how we uh, develop. Uh, the the kink identity. And uh, thank you all for sharing because you guys uh, really shared your... I know you had to dig deep into your early childhood to (laughs) to find out when it all started. So... We, did, we talked about early encounters. We talked about the exploration with the self. But the third phase for most people, at least what this researcher in California found after interviewing many people who were uh, identified as kinky, uh, the third phase was that of evaluation. He says, this stage encompasses the process by which kinky people evaluate what their kink interests mean for their identities and lives. And it typically takes place between the ages of 11 to 14 so where you start, and maybe that also happens at the same time as your orientation. I would imagine around uh, the same time, because that's more or less when we develop our identity, our mm. general identity for each of us. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a kink uh, or not, but that's where the stigma might start, like the feeling of of, of stigma, the feeling of shame. The feeling of I'm weird, or there's I'm not like everybody else, or and then they try to research it after that.
4: Yeah, well, I think most time when everyone's coming to the puberty years is when you are shamed the most. Um, uh, you know, your parents accidentally catching you masturbating or looking at pornographic imagery or something like that. You're shamed. You're punished. You're it starts that re- very early. It may not be that same way now. Maybe people are a little bit more open about it, right. but I mean, you know, our generation. You know, exploring that kind of any kind of sexuality, even like cons- hetero-heteronormative sexuality, right. uh, was still horrible and something that your parents did not want you to do.
0: So, uh, so sex itself was a source of of shame and and guilt and what have you. Be- so add on this, <laughs> sex that isn't heteronormative mm-hmm. or sex that falls outside of the realm of what you would normally see in our let's say in our environment in the media and what have you that the sense of being so alone mm-hmm. um, must be so strong at that age, like 11 to 14, like that's that's young to to be feeling very much alone. Uh, thankfully, we have the internet today. So I know that that phase of, of evaluation is followed up with exploration.
2: Well, and media is much more open and right. out there and, and you see that there's kink and, and you know most vanilla people or everyday people know what a safe word is because they make jokes about it on everything right. from The Simpsons to you know right and and stuff. But I know when when I was young there was there was some consternation of like you know, am I am I sane because I I knew I didn't want a boyfriend that beat me up but I knew I wanted rough. Right. So it was that whole. And how do you talk about it? How do you come out there? What What's the matter with me? How could I want this? Am I crazy? I Do I want to be raped? Of course I don't. It was like that whole, which is you know, rape is one of the most common fantasies right. for women, but it's, it's also mis- most commonly misunderstood fantasy. Exactly. And you know, there wasn't research, and you couldn't talk about it to anybody. So, you know, certainly there was times where
0: you you questioned and like, right. But What's the matter with me? The fourth phase is finding others. Mm. So, when th- that process of realizing that, oh, there are other kinky people out there just like me. So, this often takes place, they say, after the age of 11, according to his research. But in Catherine, in your day, Pierre, in your day, even uh, Gary, for you, as a- also older like without the internet where did you go
4: i i didn't like i didn't (laughs) find i didn't find people like me till i was in my late 20s Uh, uh and i didn't i even gay like i i i came out socially to my friends when i was quite young but i didn't formally do it until i was like late into my teens uh and even then it was still like like Finding others, it was almost a scary thing. Like you had to go to bars and you, like there really wasn't, wasn't there wasn't enough. ways to find, And but exploring kink just didn't happen when I was younger. Like even trying to get a boyfriend to like do a little thing here or there, it was like the hardest thing in the world to even ask, let alone... Right. And and so it wasn't until my late twenties when I started getting into heavy, like really heavily modifications, and finding that community that I also found the kinky, the kinky people that went with it.
3: Okay, you know? he, here I can help a bit. Uh, and before the internet, it was specialized magazine. Right, um, there was group, but they were very closed. And if you were a man, uh, it was really hard to get into this group. Uh, they were kind of underground, though, right? They, like you had to really find them, extremely right? Extremely secret, because remember. Uh, me as a dominant, I beat women. This is every, the only well, thing people careful would Careful when you
0: say, when you say, no, but say the, it like that. It's not beat,
3: but the, yes. But that's the thing. This is why right. I'm saying it like this. We we all oh, know that. the perception that, is that. The perception, yeah. Mm-hmm. We all know that there's more than this. But for people, I beat women. Right. Period. That's the perception. Is that that's what you would do? Right. And the internet really, really helped matters. I can tell you that when the internet started to go, I was one of the first one on it, and there was group, and it was quite easier.
0: Right. Much uh, different. What about for you, Dane? What was the?
3: Uh... Well, so I,
1: I had the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, since he was
0: born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how young he I'm is. I'm a millennial, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: um, and. I mean, I did, you know, follow all the stereotypes that you'll like ascribe to millennials. I watched all the porn. I did all that, but I think what's when I think back about how I explored my kink identity online, it's in a different way than uh, I think you'd imagine. Uh, I would play an. An RPG, uh, multiple uh, role-playing it? game, okay, uh, on on the internet, online. So you're online playing this game with like hundreds of people from other countries, okay, um, and you can like chat with other people. And I played the game called RuneScape. All all those '90s kids who are listening, ah. like, RuneScape, <laughs> terrible game. Um, and I would go on and I would just chat with other players, and I would be like, "I will be your slave." For the, as long as I'm online right now. And I would just get other people to order me around in this game and I would just follow oh, wow. people around for hours and like, to, and it was, like there was an anonymity there you know mm-hmm. i could do whatever i wanted nobody knew that i was doing this <laughs> i could log off at any time but it like gave me as this like 13 year old boy this like outlet to to explore this identity in and i was online but it's not the like at 13 <laughs> watching wow. porn kind okay, of getting into that's, in that's amazing that's
0: so that's, finding other people like you
2: yeah, in, in that yeah. way yeah that's and sometimes curious because uh, sorry, I play a, a video game right now. That's with a, a lot of people in that, and you'll get like you, know, you have microphones and stuff, and you get people that that try and put me as a mistress, and it's like, oh, I'd love to, but I'm not sure if this person's 13, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah,
0: right. It's um, true, so right.
2: so because of that, I'm I'm like you know the prude, the old prude on the
0: on the thing, right? right. Wow, this has been uh, very enlightening. Thank you, guys, for sharing all that information uh, information with me. So, where can people find you, Mr. Gary Major?
4: Uh, the easiest place is to find me Monday to Friday night, or well, Monday to Friday, eleven to five at Mister Bear uh, in the be Village. In the Village, yep, in the heart of the Village, uh, selling
0: I'm, all kinds of
4: uh, fashion, fetish to fetish, wear. Yep.
0: fashion to fetish. Yeah, fashion to fetish. There you go, uh, Pierre and Catherine at
2: bdsmcircle.com
0: BDSM right been around since the beginning of the internet yeah Yeah. (laughs) no, before
2: that actually he was around since the beginning of the internet
0: I was but the the site has been around since the beginning of the (laughs) internet yes it has been around for a long time Uh, and Dane where can people find you Uh,
1: well you can find the pup group that I I help to run Woof MTL on Facebook And you can find any my artistic work at TalkingDogProductions.ca.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I just want to get back to one person's question. The the, the woman who wrote in about liking rough play says, uh, it's the focus towards roughly objectifying women whilst being heterosexual is what doesn't sit right with me. And I would like to know whether it's a legitimate concern or not in your professional opinion, whenever something is distressing to you, if that is the legitimate concern. So if it's something that is distressing to you and you want to find out its origins, uh, then seeing a specialist, a therapist who can help you delve into that history, they, uh, you'll be able to discover, oh, why is this there? So it's a, it's about finding the why, uh, and that a therapist can help, but I wouldn't be concerned if you're not distressed by. It. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you so much for taking the time, uh, your precious time with us. And I hope you learned a little something tonight. Thanks to our wonderful technical producer, Dave Simon. Uh, you can connect with me on social media at Doctor Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Don't forget, you can always send in your questions. You can do that through my website. Uh, coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.